Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. I think it's been said a few times, but let me say it as well. You know, I said first service as I'm watching that video. I've only seen it. This is the second week in a row, just like you all. Is It's so, um, I love the visual. I'm a visual learner. And so when you think about um, Abraham in the desert and you, you think about that story and that visualization, it makes a difference when we read scripture and we recognize the calling that he had on his life and how he stepped out in faith. I love that. Anyways. Well, I'm, I'm, it's a privilege to be here with you this morning on this Mother's Day. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to open God's Word and share some things that He has laid on my heart with you. But before I start, um, I want to share something else. When it comes to motherhood, I know that everyone in this room, everyone watching online has been influenced in one way or another. Some influences created great joy in our life, and some influences resulted in sorrow. Some on this day celebrate new life, but yet others mourn deep loss. And so I want to start this service this morning with a prayer of acknowledgement for those different life scenarios. I want to pray for strength, and I want to pray for courage for whatever circumstances you find yourself in today, um, this Mother's Day. And I'm going to start with Isaiah 40, 30, and 31. It says, Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. That's encouragement to us, no matter the circumstance that you might find yourself in, even this day. So would you join me in prayer as we begin? Lord, it is a privilege It's a privilege to open your word today because your word is the lamp to our feet and it's the light to our path. So as we join together this morning, Lord, I just pray for hearts to be open to your word today, that we would grow in deeper relationship with you. And so for the moms and for the grandmas and the aunts and the mentors and those that you have called to be your light and your guide in the life of our children, Would we just continue to lean on your promises whenever we find ourselves weary? Would we recognize your purpose when we are lost? And would we seek your wisdom when we are uncertain? Because, Lord, I thank you for the privilege it is to share in the life of a child. So for those experiencing heartache and loss on this day, Lord, I pray that you would heal those wounds and renew their strength. I pray that they too, as Isaiah writes, may mount on wings like eagles and find hope and joy in your love. So, Lord, we ask your blessings as we study, as we open God's word today. And we ask that uh, we know that you'll meet us right where we are, Lord, but you want to take us further. And so we pray for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I began to prepare for this Mother's Day sermon, I started by considering the enormity of the responsibilities of motherhood. It's a big task, right? It's a big, just ask your mother, she'll tell you. It's a big task. But then I kept being drawn back to the simplicity of moments. I was reminded of a song by Jeremy Camp. He says, he writes a song, it's called Keep Me in the Moment. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't, but this is what he sings. He sings, oh Lord, keep me in the moment because I don't want to miss what you have for me. Help me live with my eyes wide open. Throw away what I'm chasing after and show me what matters, right? Show me what matters to you. Oh Lord, keep me in the moment. Because our lives are lived moment after moment after moment, and it accumulates to a lifetime. 
But let me say that I know this is not a new idea. I know that there are books written about this and there have been sermons preached about this um, in years past. But that doesn't mean we have applied it, does it? What we learn and what we read and what we see, have we applied it to our lives? In the busyness and in the chaos, those things that invade our daily lives, have we applied what we have learned, even about the moments that we need to cherish? Have we applied that to our daily lives? Did I do that this morning? Did I do that this morning? I think of Psalm 118, 24, because it's a great verse to keep in mind when I forget. When I forget the importance of a moment, the importance of today, because this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So important if we begin to struggle in a moment. I think we need to be glad and find purpose into this moment right here today, right now. Right here today, right now, because each moment I love this. Each moment has the potential to be significant, right? Each moment has the potential to be significant. And I have an example of a moment that I want to share with you. Now, I hope this very simple example will help you understand how a moment can have a profound effect. I'm going to talk about one of my girls, and I just asked her permission about a minute and a half ago, so I'm sure we're good. My youngest girls were about three, and I was folding laundry on the couch. And I said this first service, so I'm going to go with it. Let's just pretend I was folding laundry. I don't even know what I was doing, but that sounds good, right? I was doing something I was supposed to be doing. I was folding laundry, watching TV. And I don't even know what the kids were watching. When one of my girls, Emma, stood up. She just stood up, and she started running round and round and round the room. What are you doing? Literally, she was running around. And I was going to demonstrate that, and I tried it at home, and I thought, no, don't demonstrate that from up front. So she's running around and around for no apparent reason that I could find. And I let it go for a short minute. You know, okay, all right. But she just kept running. She just kept running. And finally, a little frustrated, I asked her, as Abby and I sat there, right? I could see the frustration on Abby's face. I asked her, Emma, what are you doing? Please stop. What are you doing running around this room? She paused, out of breath, right? And she explained, Mom, I'm trying to get my red cape. She had this blanket. She's going to love me for this. This blanket that she used to wear tied around her neck. I don't know if your kids ever did that. Superhero kind of an idea. She said, I'm just trying to get my red cape to flutter in the wind. Okay. She was running as fast as she could so she could get that red cape to flutter in the wind like she had seen on some superhero TV show. So logical, right? We can go with that. It was logical. And there was an innocence in her whole thought process. In her mind, all she was focused on was getting that cape to float, right? To float. It was never going to happen, by the way, but she was interested in getting that cape to float. So I couldn't help but smile. She was so serious. She was so intent on her goal. So she started running again. Can't hold her back. She started running again. I let go of my frustration because I had a fresh perspective on her purpose. And I let her run. And by the way, if you know her, she has never stopped running toward whatever will help her grasp a full understanding of the hows and the whys of life's mystery. And I'm so glad that she does. So I leaned into that moment, that brief moment on that day. And I received some clarity about a personality of one of my kids. They all are different, right? But I received some clarity there. Even in the simple moment It had a profound effect on my understanding of Emma. 
So I encourage you, let's grasp as many of those moments, those profound moments as we can that, again, lead up and add up to our lifetimes. I share that story because we see the effect of a moment in the story of a mom that we're going to look at today. Last week, we started our series on some key moments in the life of Abraham. Today, we're going to look at the life of a woman in Abraham's story, a mom who definitely experienced a few life-altering moments, difficult and amazing at the same time. And I got to say, if we are honest, this mom may not be one that we turn to often. But in studying her brief mention in scripture, I learned quite a lot. And I hope that you might see her a little differently the next time you read about her in the pages of God's word. Now, Craig opened this series by sharing the courage and faith it took Abraham to leave what he knew, right? We saw it in the video, left what he knew to go into a place that he did not know, a land that God had promised. And I am reminded that several times along the way, Abraham would have found himself at a crossroads. Sometimes those are amazing things in our life, those crossroads. I love the idea because we are reminded that even the patriarch Abraham had to make tough choices. We all have to make tough choices. And some were good, right, that he made, and some were not so good that he made. But I think we can confidently say that Abraham learned something at every crossroad that he encountered. In particular, I think he learned about the sovereignty of God and about the importance of his dependence. Abraham had to depend on his God in order to take each step forward. So we're introduced to our main character today in Genesis chapter 16, And I want to remind you that Abraham had been promised that he would be the father of many nations. But he and his wife were getting old, and still there was no heir. So what do they do? What do we do when we think we can't see the solution? They take things into their own hands. They decide they have the answer. They have um, the right way to go. And so we're going to enter in now into chapter 16 of Genesis. We're going to start right in verse one, and this is what it says. And remember, the names here, Sarai and Abram, were the ones before a particular covenant when God changed them to Sarah and Abraham. So we may go back and forth here, but listen to the verses. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Whoa, that's a tough passage, isn't it? It's a tough passage for us to understand in our culture, in today's world. 
But it's why it is so important when we open God's word that we have to consider the culture they were in and the context of the particular scenario. I'm not saying we have to agree with it all, but if we begin to know the hows and the whys, we can understand um, the purpose and the plan as we move forward in God's word. Hagar was Sarah's maidservant, and that meant that Hagar was obligated by law to follow Sarah's wishes. No questions there. That's what she had to do. And so I thought about that, and I thought, if you're a woman in that society, you don't have any rights to start with. If you're a woman and you're a maidservant in that society, imagine where you land in that order. So God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation, that he would have an heir. And I think this is so important for us to understand. He would have an heir of his own flesh and blood, of his own flesh and blood. So as we read, God had named Abraham as the father of this promised heir. But I want to ask you to consider the scenario from Sarah's point of view. She was beyond childbearing age, and yet a child was promised. How would that be? Logically, it would be Abraham's wife. Maybe she was thinking that way. But maybe, she could have thought, maybe it would not be her. And so she begins to take things into her own hands because she's going to control the scenario. That's what I think anyways, maybe. Maybe she feels she can control what's happening. So what does she do? She begins to rely on her own understanding. She calls on her maidservant, Hagar. So Abraham begins to t- or Abraham takes Hagar as his second wife. And I want to encourage you that this is perfectly legal. This is perfectly common and, and it's ac- an acceptable practice in this culture. And then I thought maybe that is exactly why the idea came so quickly to Sarah. If it's not going to be me, maybe it's going to be the second wife. But there's more to that story. Because not everything that is legal and acceptable in the eyes of man is approved by the will of God. Can we agree with that? Not everything that we do, say, feel, experience is approved by the will of God. So Sarah's plan works, or so she thinks it works. Hagar becomes pregnant. From Hagar's perspective, she may still be um, subject to Sarah because that doesn't change. The order doesn't change. She's still subject to Sarah. But with the onset of her pregnancy, she would now be able to maybe earn some respect from those around her. Now she would never in that culture, never be able to take Sarah's place. But she was now more than a maidservant. She was going to be the mother of Abraham's child, of an heir. So she knows she has this favor, right? And what does she do with it? Well, she begins to show contempt for her mistress. That's what she does. And in response, what happens? Sarah asks for permission to punish her. And that's important. Sarah has to have permission to punish her. So she asks for this permission. And I think, what? This is mixed up. This is a crazy scenario. But then it helps us to understand why the next few lines in that verse are important. What does Hagar do in the midst of it? Well, she runs, right? She runs. Knowing Hagar's background and her struggle helps me, helps us better understand her choices. And so think about it this way. It helps you better understand the emotions of Hagar, who now is a mom-to-be. She's a mom-to-be. What is she thinking? What's going through her mind through all of this? I think she's probably afraid, not for just herself, right? But now she's afraid for her unborn child as well. 
She doesn't know what the future holds. She knows what is said and what culture says, but she doesn't know what the future holds. This child, her child, legally would be Sarah's child. A woman who was not a friend to Hagar. So Hagar starts to wonder, would she and her child be better off if they go back home where she came from? Did she think through her plans? I don't know what she did. All I know is that scripture tells us she runs. She's headed in the direction of Egypt, which is where she was from. So she wants to go back home to things that she knows. So she stops by a spring of water in the wilderness. And that's when a most amazing moment happens in her life. An amazing moment that will sustain her. The angel of the Lord speaks to her. So consider this. An angel of the Lord speaks to a woman, speaks to a maidservant, right? Low on the totem pole. And not only that, but she just ran away. She did something illegal. She just ran away from where she was supposed to be. But the angel of the Lord speaks to her. And what does he say to her? Of all things, return to your mistress and submit to her. Hmm. I think that news might have seemed a little bit hard for her to hear. It was, it's hard when we read it that way. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to have a conversation with her. He gains her trust and he gives her peace as he goes on to tell her that she will bear a son. She didn't know that. She will bear a son and his name will be Ishmael because the Lord has listened to her affliction. The Lord has listened to her affliction. And again, we think about Hagar's predicament. She's Abraham's wife, but still subject to Sarah. And she just ran away while bearing Abraham's child. But the voice she hears begins to acknowledge her situation. Nobody ever cared about her before. And now that voice, the angel of the Lord, acknowledges her situation. That voice brings her hope. She is not alone in this. And so she answers him. We come to um, Genesis 16, verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Ber Lahai Rioi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Just like the angel of the Lord had said. And this brings me to my first point. God sees. He sees it all. And he acknowledges it all. This is just the beginning of Hagar's story. And I don't imagine that her return meant she's just going to have an easy, smooth life now, right? Probably not. The angel of the Lord even never said that to her. But something changed within her because of a moment that she knew she was seen by God. In that moment, she knew she was seen by God. She was not insignificant. That's important. She was not insignificant. She was more than a maidservant. She was more than a slave woman. In the eyes of God, she was significant. She didn't know all that the future would hold, but in that moment, she knew that Abraham's God saw her. And you know, my life may have felt out of her control, but she was grateful that someone in control saw her. It reminds me of Celebrate Recovery because I love that ministry and I've, I've been um, a part of that for many, many years. But this is how the serenity prayer starts. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and then the wisdom to know the difference. 
Much was out of Hagar's control, but she could rely on the God who sees her. She could rely on him. And so we read this account, and we have to know that this moment would help to sustain her again and again and again. And it would sustain her through the hardships that she and her son would experience. You know, many of us in this room right here have stories of these moments of clarity in our own life. I remember sitting in a hospital room, just like I'm sure many of you have experienced as well, sitting in these hospital rooms more than once with more than one of my children. And I got to tell you, I never heard an audible voice from God in those moments, but I knew without a doubt that he was there, without a doubt that he was there with me. And without a doubt, I believed then. And because of those moments, without a doubt, I believe now, right here in this moment, that God sees me. And right here in this moment, God sees you. In the trials, in the celebrations, in the good decisions, and in the not-so-good decisions, God sees me in every moment. We move on. We're going to move on several years now in the story before we even read about Hagar again. Now, Ishmael is a teenager, and another miracle happens. Abraham and Sarah have just had a baby boy, Isaac. Both are way beyond childbearing age. And, you know, I think it would have been a miracle if it happened 25 years ago, but it would have been a miracle if it happened 30 years ago or even 40 years ago in this couple's life because Abraham is now approaching 100, and Sarah is not far behind. There could be no doubt that this would be a miracle. And there could be no doubt that it was only possible through divine intervention, right? That God was a part of this story. So the birth of Isaac, the birth of the promised heir, remember that's important, changes everything for Hagar and Ishmael. Would Ishmael receive the inheritance? I think Hagar probably knows the answer to that. So again, let's look at this from a mother's perspective. Sarah wants her son to hold the place of heir. Of course she does. Hagar, forced into this scenario outside of her choosing, wants Sarah to remember why Ishmael was even conceived and why Ishmael should also be a promised heir, co-heir something with Abraham, right? With his father, his own flesh and blood. So can I say it again? It's a mixed up, crazy scenario. The only solution in Sarah's mind is to get rid of the competition. But legally... She can't do it without Abraham's approval, without Abraham's blessing. And Abraham is reluctant. Can you see that? Of course he's reluctant. Abraham is reluctant. Even the culture would not condone it. So now what? God assures Abraham. Listen to Genesis 21. We start in verse 11. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham Abraham, on account of his son. Of course it was. But God said to Abraham... Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. There was going to be more to come. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. Abraham and Sarah have made a mess of things. Can we agree? Right? They took things into their own hands, and it was never going to work right from the beginning because it creates conflict between everyone involved, including the children. And lest we forget that Abraham and Sarah were not building the nation. God was building a nation through them. 
Who was in control? God was in control. And so as hard as it was, Abraham obeys God, and he sends the child and his mother off. And this is my next point. We see God intervenes. God intervenes. Even when we make a mess of it, God is still present in the scenario and he intervenes. God will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is Abraham's offspring. They took things into their own hands and God intervened. So it reminds me, if I look at my own parenting over the next, and I was going to say how many years, but then it would give you the age of my oldest daughter. And I thought, no, that's not okay. Not on Mother's Day. My parenting over these last many years, I have made a mess on more than one occasion. And because of those messes, I have felt guilt, and I have felt shame, and I have also felt felt fear. So now what? Now what? Listen to what one author read, or what I read from one author. It says, we only need to call out to him, and he will invade our dark, secret places full of shame and tears and shine his light in our hearts. He will shine his light where we only see darkness. That's a promise from him. God intervenes. In the parenting process, we make decisions, some good, some not so good. But gratefully, we are truly not alone in that scenario because God remains with us. And might I say, he has been there and he will be there through the tears of life. He will be there and he has been there when we make mistakes, when we need to forgive, when we need to show grace, when we need to be humbled. He will be right with us in every moment, in every scenario. So when I look back, even this morning, when I look back, I think I could have done that different. I could have done that better. Influencing a child's life, whatever the relationship is, is a privilege and it's a huge responsibility and we will need God's intervention through each and every moment. Can we agree? We will need his intervention. So we listen to the story as it goes on. We're in chapter 21 still, verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and she wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about a distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of a child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and she wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. Makes me wonder, was he praying? God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy. And he grew up, and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with a bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. My final point this morning, sometimes we work really hard to mess things up, but it's God who saves. It was God who saved that mother and her son. The story of Hagar is a tough one. 
And there's more decisions and ramifications down the road for this mother and son. But here's the thing. In a moment, Hagar knew God saw her and that he would sustain her, he alone. And in a moment, God intervened and he provided as he opened her eyes to see the living water that he had prepared and he had opened her eyes to see just for her and for her son. And through all the good and the bad decisions, it would be God who saves. And you know, I came to appreciate Hagar's story here because it's not an easy story, but talking to any moms, their their story is not easy either, right? I've never heard an easy story from the life of a mom. Hagar's story is a story of courage, of fear, of heartbreak, of love, of right decisions and of wrong decisions. It's a, it's a story of true dependence on God through a life that seemed out of her control. And I think it's a story that includes so many emotions that we can relate to ourselves. Moments of fear that we all experience. Moments of courage that we need. Moments of heartbreak right here in this room, I know. Moments of heartbreak. And the overwhelming moments of love and joy that cannot be overshadowed and that make it all worth it. Moments that sustain us. I have another moment that I want to share with you this morning. When my grandson was born, he was a little premature and he had to spend some time in the NICU. We've, many of us have been there, right? We had to spend some time in the NICU. I want to just take a pause and say thank you so much to all of the medical professionals who lovingly care for our little ones. You are appreciated, you are needed, and I am in great gratitude for the love that you show. Now, one moment in particular sticks out to me in this story that I will never, ever forget. As my daughter and I made our way to see him, he was so small and he was sleeping with all those monitors hooked up that were necessary to oversee his care. But when his mother said his name, Jackson, when his mother said his name, eyes still closed, nothing had changed in the scenario, he turned his head right to my daughter's voice. He followed her voice, and I was amazed. Jax knew that voice, and it brought him comfort. Days after his birth, while he slept, he turned his head. But we have a voice that we can hear as well in the toughest moments in this parenting journey. In the moments when, as moms, we feel out of control, we have a voice that will remind us we are not alone in this journey. In the moments when you quietly remember a mom who is no longer present with you in this life, we have a God who sees us and who knows. In the moments when we mess up, may you remember that God is the one who will intervene. I've made a mess. Thank you, God, that you will help me get out of this mess. mess. Because parenting is a tough business. It's a tough and amazing responsibility. And it's a responsibility that as soon as it starts, it's a journey of preparing to let go. Sorry, new moms. I am reminded again of Emma's red cape story, her red cape hero story. She was on her way running in the wind, and she is not looking back, and I'm grateful for that. But I was also reminded of a poem by an age-old theologian, Irma Bombeck. Do you know that name? This is what she writes. She says, children are like kites. You spend years trying to get them off the ground. You run with them until you're both breathless. They crash. They hit the roof. You patch, comfort, and assure them that someday they will fly. 
Finally, they are airborne, but they need more string, so you keep letting it out. They tug, and with each twist of the twine, there's a sadness that goes with joy. The kite becomes more distant. And you know it won't be long before that beautiful creature will snap the lifeline that binds you together and will soar as they are meant to soar, free and alone. Only then do you know that you have done your job. May we be encouraged to remember that today is important as our kids learn the journey of flight. May we take each moment as it comes because collectively they add up to the lifetimes. One that God has so generously offered. One that we can live in freedom because of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. I ask you, I wonder, even in this moment, have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? This journey is meant to be walked with his guidance, with his love. It is to be encouraged because he gives us hope and he gives us peace. If that decision is one that you have not made or that you've just been considering, I encourage you in a moment, even in the quietness of your heart, that you would consider that even this morning. Consider taking that step of faith to begin to journey with him because I'll tell you that that moment is one you will never forget. That moment is one that will sustain you through the difficult times in our lives and that will bring you joy as we celebrate together those wonderful moments that we experience. One verse that really stuck out to me and that I want to leave with you today is from Zephaniah. It's 317. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Isn't that amazing to think? And he will quiet you by his love. He will be with you. He sees you. And he will exalt over you with loud singing. Remember, I love, I'm a visual learner, and I can just imagine that. He will exalt over you with loud singing. May we consider those things as we move off into Mother's Day today, and we celebrate with our families. Share the moments. Share the good ones and the not-so-good ones. Cry together. Laugh together. Enjoy the privilege that God has given each and every one of us. Each and every one of us have the opportunity to share in a child's life. May we take that to heart and follow his path. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the privilege that you have given, that we have these children, whether we're mentors, whether we're moms, aunts and grandmas, parents, Lord, um, that have come not through flesh and blood, but Lord, because you have placed these amazing children in our lives. Maybe we're small group leaders. Whatever it is, Lord, you have given us the opportunity to share in the life of a child, and we thank you for that privilege. And so, Lord, as we move out, might we move out, might we share that privilege with others? Might we share the hope that you offer? Lord, and might we, might we take it so seriously, Lord, but with joy, knowing that you have a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. Mistakes, good decisions, Lord, you are with us. You see us. You intervene, Lord, and you save. We thank you, Lord, that our hope is in you, and we thank you for your love every day, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.